Hi, I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's. The initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order. And yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. She Dynasty is back, and I love, love the episode we're going to record today because we're going to be talking to a remarkable woman named Carly Stein, who is the CEO and founder of Beekeepers Naturals. Beekeepers Naturals makes premium health products harvested by hand from Canadian beehives, and they are dedicated to bringing consumers the highest grade bee products from farm to bottle. Beekeepers Natural is also a huge advocate for sustainable bee practices, and they work hard to educate people that bees play a crucial role in our ecosystem. They want everyone to know that the world's food supply would be in serious trouble without them. Bees have always struck me as such interesting and creative creatures, and I'm so excited to learn more about them and what they can do for us. But first, I would like to introduce my co-host. Her name is Jackie McEwen. She's a blogger and entrepreneur who has started glutenfreefollowme.com, which is a guide dedicated to living an awesome gluten-free lifestyle. I thought Jackie would be a perfect co-host today because she started her website and blog because of a personal medical issue that she was experiencing, and that story was very similar to Carly's. So I'm excited for them to make a connection. The other connection that I like between Jackie and Carly is that they both used to work in finance, but both decided to leave that career to pursue their passion in life. Hi, Jackie. Hi, how How, are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yes. As I mentioned a few seconds ago to both of you, it feels a little bit like a blind date. We kind of like (laughs) show up and hope we have some chemistry and just have a conversation but I have a feeling we're all going to get along. So thank you for being here. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Jackie. What do you do? So I'm the founder of Gluten-Free Follow Me, which is the guide to living gluten-free. And I have over 2,000 gluten-free friendly restaurants, recipes, and brands on my website. And everything are products and restaurants that I've personally tried and then recipes that I've made. So they're all endorsed by you. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of work. And actually Beekeepers is also on on my website. Oh, perfect. There's over 850 brands on there now. So we we already have some synergies. I like it. Beautiful. (laughs) So this this website, this company was um, kind of born from a personal situation. Tell us exactly exactly what, what happened or why. So about seven years ago, I found out that I couldn't have gluten. I have celiac disease. And my first question was, what is gluten? I had never heard of it. 
when I found out what it was, I was even more overwhelmed. I'd figure out what I could eat, what I couldn't eat, and all the gray areas in between. So I started doing my own research. I started going out to eat and talking to chefs and figuring out what I could eat. I started going through the supermarket, trying to find products. And in March 2014, I started posting on my Instagram and just a casual, you know, brownie recipe here or there, going out to eat. And people really liked it. They wanted more. So I was like, oh, okay. So I was working in finance at the time, and I was there for five and a half years, and in the middle of this, I started doing gluten-free follow me. So it just transitioned into something larger. I would try to go out to eat during my lunch break and find gluten-free friendly restaurants, and it was my outlet. So this passion project ended up fueling me through my finance job. Wow. And if I didn't have that, I probably would have switched jobs, but I was able to get through it because of gluten-free follow me. Well, interesting. It's actually another thing that both you and Carly have in common is that you both worked in finance and kind of left for your own personal passion project. So we're going to talk a bit yeah. about that. So I just want to um, talk a little bit about uh, finding out that you had celiac and you had mm-hmm. to go gluten-free. Um, for someone like me who is obsessed with bread and carbs and gluten, mm-hmm. like how do you take that news? Is it devastating? Yeah, so back then, gluten wasn't as well-known as it is now. Nowadays, there's so many options. You can have all the carbs you want. You can have gluten-free cake, gluten-free brownies. You can have sweets. So gluten doesn't mean carbs. Gluten doesn't mean carbs. Gluten is a protein. So when I first found that out, I did first think, okay, can't have pizza, pasta, bread, English muffins, all that stuff. So it was definitely overwhelming. But if you do gluten-free without the carbs, that's paleo. So that's kind of a different diet. Understood. But back then there weren't as many options. So like 10 years ago, the bread tasted like dust and I became gluten-free just when it was becoming something bigger. Right. Um, so now there's so many options. Beautiful. Well, I'm happy that people have kind of risen up to the occasion to yeah. help support people that have that issue. Likewise. Beautiful. So you're here to help um, co-host with Carly today. Um, what do you hope to learn from her? I think it's great having female entrepreneurs, and I always love hearing people's backstories and how they were able to transition from maybe a corporate job or something else to their passion project and watch that blossom. So I'm definitely curious to hear more about your journey. Perfect. All right. Well, I think um, I think we're going to be ready to go. Great. So hi, Carly. Hey, guys. How are you? I'm good. I have to tell you, I am excited to hear about you and your project just because bees are something that have always fascinated me. And um, I think everyone listening is going to learn a lot today just because as I was doing research, there were so many things that I was learning. And I'm excited for everyone listening to hear about it as well. Yeah, the bees are definitely major contributors to our ecosystem and world, and people are sort of just figuring this out. So tell me before we start in your own words, because I um, explained it probably in a more corporate way, but what does Beekeepers Natural do and make, and what's your mission? Yeah, so Beekeepers Naturals, we are a wellness company. We make all natural supplements. So what we're really trying to do is look at the cold and flu cabinet, the medicine cabinet, and say, how can we make sustainable all natural and effective versions of this to replace all the synthetic stuff you're taking. And, you know, just like a lot of people have gluten intolerances, more and more people are having reactions to a lot of the over-the-counter medicines. Yep. And so if we can make 
equally effective, if not more effective, but sustainably clean, sustainably sourced clean ingredient versions of all these things, I think, you know, that can be really helpful. And so our mission is twofold. One is to support people in their wellness journey, give people real tools to heal and feel their best. And the second part of our mission is to generate awareness and help to contribute to the really important cause that's the plight of the bees. Beautiful. Well, I think you found some really, really interesting white space. Um, you know, your story reminded me a little bit about a woman who I interviewed a while back, and her name was Gigi Goldman, and she started Kapari, and she found this obsession with coconuts and skincare, and she kind of mixed those two ideas together. So when I heard about your story and your journey, I thought, wow, this is really interesting. So many women are finding, um, you know, something that's really helped them in their personal life and bringing it to others to help. So that's incredible. And it's a, obviously an amazing time to be in the uh wellness space, just because that is the hot topic, um, didn't seem to be um, quite as as relevant, you know, even 10 years ago, but all of a sudden it's just everywhere you go, people really trying to find more natural homeopathic or remedies that aren't, you know, drug-based. So love to hear that. Yeah, definitely. It's been actually really interesting with wellness. I think more and more people are you know things like gluten intolerances and these different things are are cropping are popping up and I don't know if that's a product of our environment but there's definitely a need for a change and so more and more people are kind of creating cleaner options which is cool yeah i mean i'm i'm the kind of person that like will barely take an advil so any product like this that can help is awesome i i was t- telling you when you walked in about 3 weeks ago i got laryngitis and my voice completely went away and it's been a few weeks now, and you can probably hear it's still a tiny bit hoarse. And I was reading about your products last night and I was like, I need to get this throat spray and you brought me some. So thank you. Super (laughs) excited um, to hear about that. And we'll talk about it in a bit. Um, So before we talk about um, your company, as you know, She Dynasty is very much about your journey of how you got to where you are today, because we want to inspire a young generation of entrepreneurs to really take their passions and make them a reality. Um, so let's start from, you know, when you were a child, tell us, um, where were you born? What was your childhood like? Yeah. So I was born in Toronto, Canada. My parents are, my mom was a school teacher. My dad was a lawyer, but they always really encouraged an entrepreneurial attitude. And this is actually kind of cute. So my first business venture also had to do with insects. I, created a um, a caterpillar summer camp because I was very concerned about the welfare of my neighbor's caterpillars when my mm-hmm. neighbors went to work. Oh. So I used to go around collecting their caterpillars for a very small fee of a dollar and then I would take care of the caterpillars all day. And you would like babysit that? You would like yeah. babysit that? Wow. <laughs> Pretty much. And then I'd return them. Oh. Uh, my mom reminded me of that recently. I just thought that was kind of funny, full circle. Did you get paid for babysitting the caterpillars? A dollar a caterpillar. Oh, yeah. that's pretty good. Very lucrative. Very lucrative. <laughs> so your passion for insects started very, very young. I've always loved nature and kind of all animals, all living things and being outdoors. I think growing up, I definitely had an entrepreneurial spirit, but I think like many of us, I just didn't know that it was an accessible career path. I, you know, up until a few years ago, had a really negative narrative about starting a business. I just didn't think I was good enough to do something like that, or I could do something like that. And so for me, a lot of creating the company and creating sort of the life I have now was me changing my internal dialogue and adopting a growth mindset. I had the same insight where I didn't want to be a CEO until later when I ended up 
on this path and I became one, but I never planned on that because I saw my father as a CEO and it just looked way too stressful. And I thought, if you're CEO, that means you have way too much stress. You can't do other things. So I always had a very negative connotation of that. Interesting. So um, Carly, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I always thought I – so I, it was interesting. I think I was like a little bit lost. I always really liked sciences. I, I studied um, a lot of sciences in my undergrad, but I never wanted to be a doctor. So I kind of figured I would go into patent law, which is now – it's insane that I wanted to do that because I would not be mm. happy in that. So patent law. So it's like um, I would I would work for like a pharmaceutical company because I really like doing scientific research. And then in my internships, my first internship was at the Clinton Foundation and I, let, I did a bunch of things because I was an intern, but I led their prescription drug abuse initiative. So really kind of heavy on the pharmaceutical research side. And then as I started to struggle with my health, I became really passionate about – the natural wellness world and just um, sort of studying autoimmunes and what's happening with overprescription and all of that. So I guess I kind of thought I was going to go into research, mm -hmm. but I really didn't know. So there is a loose correlation between kind of what you thought you were going to do and what you're doing today. Yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned um, that you left home and you moved to New York. Um, why did you choose New York? So I started off out of college. I didn't totally know what I was going to do. I had a job offer from a hedge fund in Toronto. What was your major in college? I did social sciences. Okay. So I did like a general science degree. Okay. Um, and I think it, how I got the hedge fund job, it was because I, I sort of was leading a research team at the Clinton Foundation and, you know, a lot of hedge fund guys hire out of there. And so this hedge fund, they were looking for somebody who could do research and all that stuff. Um, and I hit it off with the CEO when he interviewed me and I just got a job out of school. I was very lucky and um, I was super broke. So I was like, yes, give me any job. Uh, so I started working at a hedge fund. I had no, I didn't know anything about the finance world. I was there for about 10 months and then 10 months in, I got recruited by Goldman Sachs. So oh, wow. that's when I, I moved over to the US. Did it come naturally to you to work in finance? I mean, I, th I thrive in an intense environment. So anything that, you know, when I'm feeling really challenged, I love that. So I really did enjoy that. Um, it came, I mean, I've, I'm decent with numbers, so it came pretty naturally, but it definitely, I mean, I had never, I didn't know what an option was. I, right. you know, I'd, right, right. I'd never taken a business course or finance course in my life. So there was definitely a learning curve, but I mean, it's all stuff that's really doable. And more than anything, I think I thrived in that environment for a period of time. And do you think um, what you learned um, at Goldman Sachs carried over to what you're doing today in some way, shape, or form? I think the most important thing that I learned was work ethic. So I was in a pretty intense environment. I joined a startup team within Goldman, as far as you can call anything a startup. But uh, what they were doing is they were building an equity desk in Toronto. And so I was between Toronto and New York going back and forth, um, you know, working analyst hours, all the craziness. Mm -hmm. And it taught me to really prioritize, really understand just sort of the the power of working hard and what you can accomplish if you really put your mind to it. And I think also, I mean, financial concepts, what I do now, like working with venture and that sort of thing, it's pretty different. And at this point we have a CFO. So of course. I mean, it definitely helped and I can definitely, you know, have conversations that I maybe couldn't have before. But I think also it taught me a lot about just dealing with different personalities and right. the sort of political dynamics right. and and more than anything as well, it taught me 
what I don't want to do and what sort of manager I want to be and how I want my company culture to be. Right. Okay. And you talk a lot um, about work ethic and I'm sure that work ethic has carried through to what you do today. Do you feel like your work ethic um, has affected kind of your personal life in a sense that it's, you have to, you know, really pick and choose or do you feel like you have a good balance between the two? I balance is a work in progress for me. I am, I'm doing a little bit better now but yeah, for, for a lot of my life, I really prioritized work and, and something suffered. Um, and I don't think it has to be that way. It, it, you know, it really doesn't have to be that way. There are so many examples of people who can kind of balance everything. I did a really bad job of that. And I'm really now learning to kind of balance. And so something life-changing happened to you when you came down with tonsillitis um, while you were studying abroad. And so tell us that story. Yeah. So I'm autoimmune, so I can't take antibiotics and I really react to a lot of conventional medicine, even things like NyQuil, like it's just not an option for me. Um, and so can you, can you go into a little bit more detail when you say you're autoimmune? What does that mean? Yeah. So I have cirrhotic arthritis and it's triggered by a lot of random things. One of the things that it's majorly triggered by is antibiotics. Um, and then also with just most over-the-counter products, I can have I'll I'll get like topical psoriasis as well. So mm-hmm. I try to keep it in remission, and it can be pretty painful and terrible if I do have an outbreak. So that was just kind of like a constant struggle. And then I had I dealt with that coupled with just having a really weak immune system. I was just this kid who was always sick, always run down, and I had chronic tonsillitis. So I had this issue where I had chronic tonsillitis, but I can't get my tonsils taken out because then I have to go on antibiotics potentially. Oh and so I was just always sick. And that is originally what sort of turned my attention to the natural world. Um, at a pretty young age before wellness, it was, you know, having the explosive growth that it is today. And so I started doing a lot of research in that world. And I always ended up spending like time and money I didn't have on the latest and greatest products. And often I would have an adverse reaction to them or they would do nothing. And I was left really frustrated. So I was interested in the natural world, but sort of disillusioned as a consumer. And then when I was in college, I did a semester abroad. And of course, I got tonsillitis. And I was just- Where did you go? I was studying in Sweden. I was in Italy at the time that I got sick. And so I was like, okay, great. I have to miss out on another amazing thing. Um, It was so bad that I was having a hard time breathing. So I was going to have to come home. And I was just like, no, I'm I'm not cutting this short. Like I busted my ass waitressing to be out here. I'm not How long were you supposed to be there for? I was supposed to be in Europe for a whole of seven months. And this was- Ooh, I don't even know how many months in. It was it was not it was pretty early into the entire trip. And so I was really sick. I was just kind of looking for anything to keep me out there and I went into a pharmacy in Florence and the pharmacist took one look at me. My face was very swollen. And she started talking to me and she was like, oh, you need propolis. And I was like, what is that? And she's like, it's from the bees. And I was like, okay, so honey? And she's like, no, propolis. And I was like, okay, I don't know if this is like a language barrier. I've never heard of this propolis stuff. But I'll try Did she it. speak English? She did speak English. Like a little broken, but she – A little be- bit broken, but she spoke it. But I was just like, how, how have I never heard of this? Like, right. I've done so much research, of course. Well, the Europeans seem to have um, secrets that we don't have over oh, here. Oh, yeah. So progressive with natural health. I was For just sure. kind of like a silly college student thinking that I'd already done all the research, which I clearly had not. Um, but I, I tried it. So I bought this propolis stuff. And in about five days, I made a full recovery. So what happened for me was – Propolis functioned in my body the way antibiotics do for most people. And that was my first real healing experience 
And, you know, especially if you're used to really reacting, um, it was pretty, it was a pretty powerful experience. And so after that, I was just like... Was it a spray that she gave you? It was a, it was a little tincture. It was like, it's so funny. It was in like a black glass bottle with no branding, no information on it. And you trusted it. You trusted it. That's me being 21. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Nowadays, I would be a little more discerning. But at that time, I was just like, yeah, sure. Don't send me home. Right. Um, And desperate to try anything. I guess I'm happy that I had that that approach because I don't know that I would have come to it like I have today. Um, but yeah, so I started using propolis. It I made an amazing recovery. I'd never had that experience. And then I continued using it and I was feeling better than ever. And then the really interesting thing was as I was traveling around Europe, I started to learn about how bee products were so commonplace. Like I, I remember seeing ingestible beauty products with royal jelly in them in France. And this is in 2012 before like, right, right. you know. Um, so this is... N- all over Europe, you're starting to see. Oh this. yeah, like okay. this, like be all of these different bee products going beyond honey. They ha- they have a really rich history with us. Like I mean, the first recorded human use of propolis dates back to 300 BC. Like it's not a new thing. It it's sort of like the OG antibiotic. But um, people have been using these different bee products from pollen to royal jelly to propolis for all of these different use cases. You know, in different parts of the world, and we just haven't really woken up to the benefits yet in North America. Wow, I'm really excited by this. Just as someone, again, who hates um, any sort of um, non-natural drugs, I really am excited about the possibilities and more people learning about this. Yeah. Very cool. There's huge applications and there's so much you can do with these different products. So it's definitely exciting. So let's go back to that woman you met in the pharmacy. Does she know that you've done this? Do you know who she is? No, do you know her I name? don't. I don't. And I've tried. I've tried to find her. She's launched an entire movement in the Honestly, in North America. Yeah, I've tried to find her, and it's kind of hard. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll go back to Italy and like try and actually do that. I love it. But, I love, go ahead. But yeah, no, it was it was really cool. It was just after that, just. It was like every corner store I went to, I remember seeing like propolis eardrops. And even when I was in Costa Rica, they had propolis eardrops for swimmers ear. Like, you know, in other cultures, this stuff is super common. Right. So the snag was obviously your tonsillitis and the spark was when she gave you this product and something worked. I mean, not that you had the idea yet to make a company, but you realized that you had something that was awesome. Yeah, that was definitely the game changer for my health. That's when I really started to kind of take control of my health. Um, And then soon after that, I started changing my diet and just really like getting back to well. So that was the spark for my health journey for sure. Yeah. On She Dynasty, we talk a lot about um, moments that kind of come into your life that are unexpected, that change your direction, Um, you know, the shift. And it sounded like whatever happened that day really kind of um, set you on a different path and a different journey. And so, um, you know, a lot of times those moments are, you know, they come out of the blue and it sounds like a really awesome one. So I'm happy that happened. Um, So you've told us that you um, became a beekeeper. So I want to hear now how you kind of transitioned from doing that to starting a company. So that was the hardest transition of my life, just kind of everything that I went through to get to having my dream job today. Um, So yeah, so I'm keeping bees in college. I'm falling madly in love with these creatures and kind of learning everything and testing these products on myself. My health was better than ever. And I started sharing the products with friends and roommates. And next thing you know, people were like Facebook messaging me on campus to buy like weird bee products out of some chick's (laughs) dorm room. So I was like, okay. 
it's not just me. This stuff is clearly working. So you were taking what you learned and being able to be in a lab and your um, beekeeping hobby, and you were kind of combining those two things to kind of start to understand the products or materials that bees were producing? Totally. I was combining my education, pulling on the university database, having access to the lab, and then learning it practically. And then also learning from my mentor who has years and years of working with the bees and comes from a different culture where he was, you know, teaching me things that I'd never heard of. Like, And, really and did cool he remedies. know? Did he know about all these remedies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is like a savant. Like he just knows everything you can do with bees, which is pretty amazing. But it's it's kind of common knowledge in other cultures, the same way this stuff was commonplace in Europe. So American, Americans are so weird. <laughs> Well, to be fair, honeybees aren't native to North America. Oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. we did. So they've got a little bit of time on us. But um, yeah, so I just started learning about all these products. It's it's working for people beyond myself. I started doing a lot of research and then you know learning things and le- learning about the chemical composition of propolis. The fact that it has over three hundred beneficial compounds. That it's antiviral, antifungal, antimicrobial, and antibacterial. That it has all these things that make it an incredible immune booster. And you know, kind of doing that with all the different products. So. I'm in this place where I'm like madly in love with the bees. I'm making all these products and just having the best time ever. And then I get this job offer, which makes a lot more sense to your friends and family than starting a bee product company. And I also was really insecure about what I was capable of. And I was like, well, I don't know how to start a company. I'll probably mess it up, which is ridiculous thinking. But anyway, so I took the job offer at the hedge fund and, you know, I was there. And then when I joined Goldman, that's when I started to really kind of feel a disconnect because I had this job that was awesome on paper. Um, I was learning a lot. It was great for a lot of reasons, but it just wasn't what I wanted. I kind of fell into it rather than actively seeking right. that career path. Right, right. Um, and I became, I think when you're, whenever you're doing something that's just not in line with who you are and what you want, you really feel it. And so I started to get really depressed. And but I you felt, still had your side hustle doing the thing with the bees. Well, I had kind of stopped at that time. Oh. So I, I felt re- like pretty depressed and isolated. I also was like over-indexing on the career and, you know, not really making time for myself or even thinking about the word balance. Right. Um, but yeah, I started to feel – I was feeling pretty depressed. So I did the type A thing to do, which is make a spreadsheet about happiness and try to identify where I lost my happiness. And the thing that I kept coming back to was working with the bees and making bee products. And I was like, okay, I'm going between Toronto and New York right now. I can't exactly take care of the bees, but I know how to make all these products. I know what gear I need. I can order some lab equipment on Amazon. I can source product from my mentor in BC and I can just make bee products and that can just be my thing the same way you have like maybe a family member who's super into baking and that's so their like, sort of – So like you were doing it out of your apartment? Literally out of my studio apartment. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because my boyfriend and I are watching Breaking Bad right now. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, okay. like it <laughs> That looked, show. Oh my gosh. Well, it looked – my apartment looked like a <laughs> – <laughs> like literally looked like I was running some weird operation. Oh my god, I hope you have photos. Um, yeah, I definitely do. Okay, it's good. like a little scary. I love that. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm making all these V products and Were you gonna like blow up the building? Uh, who knows? (laughs) Definitely not regulation, but I'm just making them for myself and friends and family in my apartment and doing this the same way you were Jackie, like kind of as my side thing. And I'm just like loving it. I'm like thrilled to be getting home from work so I can get back to Right. Like you can't wait to leave work to go home and work more. It was literally like, well, I was like pretending to be a mad scientist and just like Mm -hmm. making cool things and doing all this research. And um, I started, you know, selling the products at pop-ups and farmer's markets. And that's when it started to really get real because people would 
sort of so that I think that's an important step. So you were selling this to friends and family, and then you made a decision to kind of take it one step further and go do very kind of grassroots, uh, very grassroots um, kind of approach. Like totally. at a farmer's market. Yeah. So you had to obviously buy a booth or set up mm-hmm. a stand. That that was an investment. But it was probably like a proof of concept for you. It was. And so I wasn't even selling it to friends and family. I was just giving it to people. Okay. Because um, I because also people thought I was insane because they're like, hey, you work at Goldman Shell. Like, <laughs> this is a little <laughs> what weird. What are you doing? Crazy um, bee lady. Yeah, exactly. But so I was just giving it to friends and family. But in doing that, I had people coming back to me being like, oh, this stuff works. I had a sore throat and it did this or, you know all these different things. And so I was like, okay, this is still working. I'm getting more feedback on it. And so I did, I decided to, you know, buy a booth and start doing pop-ups and I was basically using my salary. Um, and also, you know, this entire operation was funneled by my salary at that time. Um, I was buying the raw product, buying the bottles, all of these things. I'm amazed that you knew how to do this, but I guess you kind of learned that in school. Oh, I didn't. Well, I mean, you just also learn on the go. I learned on the go. Yeah. Like I knew how to, I knew how to, so it sounds more complicated than it is. It's, I was doing like a basic extraction with propolis, which I learned in school, but the things that were really hard were like sourcing bottles. Like where do you buy thousands of tiny bottles? Right. And, you like, know, like You had having, to all of a sudden start thinking like a marketer. You had to start thinking about packaging and oh, yeah. how the – a brand. Did you oh, name it totally. right away? I didn't name it right away. I, I didn't name it for – I think – I think I went like a year before I named it. So when you were at the farmer's market selling it, you just just said B products? Yeah, it said B products. Really? <laughs> it said B products. And so, yeah, I learned everything on the go, which I think, you know, I'm sure you did the same thing, Jackie. Like most entrepreneurs have that experience when it comes from an authentic place. And the other amazing thing is that all of the resources that you need are accessible to you in books and on the internet and all that stuff. And so, you know, I fumbled a lot and I did the wrong things and, and probably like, you know, I wasn't always the most efficient in the early days, but I slowly but surely kind of put together the pieces for the business. And then, you know, when I was selling it at the farmer's market, that's when I started getting consumer feedback that really impacted me. So people started writing me emails about how this product changed their life. I remember one woman, I always talk about this, but this one woman, she is a, she had a six-year-old son who had a bunch of different autoimmune issues and propolis was the only thing that worked for him. And she would like send me pictures of him putting it in his backpack and like she sent me a video of him thanking me one time. And I was just like, okay, I know this stuff changed my life. It's working for now a really broad population. Like what am I scared of? Like get your shit together. And so I started, I started, you know, I'd fly to Toronto on Friday night and I'd fill my backpack up with product with Propolis, which was my only product at that time. And I'd go to like mom and pop health food stores and ask them to take it on, even sometimes on consignment. Just walk in and literally just walk in and try to find the buyer. And like often I was turned away. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just basically annoy people until I got it in. And and then um, once I got into enough stores, I was taken on by a distribution company and then I launched with Whole Foods Canada. And then it got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm like working at Goldman in the day. And then I have this this product that's like low pro in 600 retail locations across Canada. And like, I need someone to run the business. And I was like, okay, it's going to be me. But so were you like hand bought, like bottling it yourself? And I found a co-packer at that point. Okay. So before we got taken on by a distribution company, I found a co-packer who could, you know, do it at scale. And that was literally just like Google searching, talking to the distributor. So you just found somebody who could do it for you. Yeah. I would like LinkedIn stalk people. And I just, and at that point you had a name for the business. Yes. 
Yeah, at that point, I, I and did you like hire a friend to do the graphic design, or I mean, so I crowdsourced that. I hired my best friend to do the to literally incorporate and you know trademark everything, and then I used ninety nine designs to crowdsource the design. Oh my god! Our first is yeah, because it was because it was what I could afford, <laughs> um, and then even my friend, the lawyer, I couldn't afford to pay him because I had I was like literally funneling my salary into just buying the product, and so I created this like crazy structure where I would pay him later and. And what ended up happening with that lawyer, Daniel, he's now our COO. So he now works full time oh, wow. for the company. Oh, great story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's like my best friend and he's such an integral part to all of this. So I sort of was just figuring it out on the go. And, you know, I, for me, making it my side hustle at that time, it really worked because I was able to create it the way I wanted to create it. I was never pushed to compromise on product quality or my my testing standards, like all of these things that I slowly put together to make the company what it is. I was able to really do on my terms and they weren't at all the most profitable. They were optimizing for a really good product that works and that's clean and that's different. And so I'm really happy I did it that way. But the really hard part was when it was funny, like I had consumer data, the pro- the company was, it was still really early stage, but it was like, it was doing well. People were buying it uh, and someone had to run it. So I was leaving, I was planning on leaving Goldman to do it. And That's everyone- a big decision. Well, people thought I was like completely crazy. Mm-hmm. And now like my friends and family were just looking out for me, but- So they, you like, didn't have the support of your not friends and family? Not at all. Like they interventioned me. Like, really? They were, they were legitimately concerned because also it's one thing- they, in, wait, they interventioned you. Yeah, it was really sad. Well, like, and also, like, back then, in the quotes, people didn't really do startups or passion projects like this. Like, now it's more known. Yeah. But I feel like it wasn't as obvious. Oh, but my it, God. Even, I love and, like, that interventioned I get it, you. It sounds super weird, right? Like, if someone's like, oh, you're doing, you're leaving to do a startup. Is it an app? Is it, even if I was like, it's a raw chocolate company, but I was like, no, it's B products. And they're like, okay, like, honey. And then I'm like, nope. Not honey, Hot the honey. other ones. Honey like, is already what? a thing here. You're like, and I make it myself. <laughs> yeah. So everyone thought I was really crazy. And also it was just risky. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, they didn't understand sort of the medical efficacy of the product. I well, had they done also, all this they research. Also, they also weren't going through what you were personally going through and didn't maybe understand that there was a need by probably, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that have similar issues. Totally. Totally. So that was, that was also a really like a blessing because – facing all that opposition, especially from people I trust early on, it forced me to really get clear on what I want and who I want to be and step up and like become that woman. Okay. Tell us about that moment where you just decided I'm going to quit and I'm going to go do this and I'm going to shift this whole direction. I want to hear that moment. Like how do you make that giant, giant decision? I actually had such a – it was such a good moment. So – I was talking to one of my managers at Goldman and he's like a brilliant, brilliant man who I had a lot of respect for. And I was kind of telling him about this company and, you know, he's, he's much older than me. He's, you know, closer to my dad's age. And, um, he brings me into the boardroom and he's like, okay. And he's doing, he's using like arbitrary numbers. He has no idea what our margins are or like what it actually looks like running a company, but he's like doing some arbitrary math. And he's like, so here's where you are 10 years out with your little company. And here's where you are 10 years out at Goldman. And like basically just showing me that I would end up like living in my parents' basement and ruining my career. awful. By someone so much older than you. That's so intimidating. And someone who I really – and basically what was happening was he was laying out all the things I was scared of um, and telling me that it's going to happen. And then at the end of it, he's like, oh, and this wellness thing, I'm pretty sure it's a fad. (laughs) Um, And in that moment, I was like, 
it was so scary to hear that. And I was like, yeah, I'm still going to do it. And that was it. I was just like, Good for you. I have to make this happen. Love it. Okay. So you took the plunge. You left. Very scary moment. Big shift. Um, you go into this f- kind of full force. Do you, are you alone? Do you have a partner? I was alone at that point. Daniel was helping me on the legal side. So I would talk to him a lot and he was kind of the only person who believed in me. But really, I was alone at that time. Do you have a partner now? I mean, Daniel, like he's I he's essentially like I call him my co-founder because he was with me from such an early stage and you know, he's COO. He's he is really instrumental in everything. Beautiful. So it's probably been a huge, huge learning curve because now you've been in business about two years. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. So not only did you have to kind of invent the product, figure out how to package it, um, you're probably having to learn how to do marketing. Um, You know, I've noticed your online presence, presence, everything you do just looks fantastic. Um, You're probably also, you probably have a lot of employees now and you're learning how to manage people, like all these things kind of thrown at you at once. Um, Tell us about the transition to being thrown into all of that. Yeah, it's a big transition. So first of all, I want to recommend the book Mindset. Adopting a growth mindset is what you need to survive as an entrepreneur. But the biggest thing, um, just the reality when you are an entrepreneur, when you do start a company, your job changes constantly and you have to take on things that you suck at that you've never done before. And then the second you get really good at them, you have to take on a new thing and like offload that to someone else. Right. And you just – the thing that you have to get comfortable with is change and you have to basically cultivate the muscle of resilience and get really good at being okay when you're shitty at things and just remembering that like, yeah, I suck at this. This is really hard. I'm going to be good at it in like a month. And then I'll have the next challenge and just getting kind of used to that flow. Perfect. So Carly, what parts of the jobs do you not like about being a CEO? I think the thing about being a CEO that's really challenging versus, you know, working at a company is this the company is kind of your baby and so it never turns off. So when when I was working at Goldman, even when I was working super hard and I really cared about what I was doing, there's times you would clock out, you know, you'd end the day or right. even when you go on vacation. For me as CEO, at the end of the day, at night when I'm on vacation, when I'm actively trying to relax, I am always thinking about this company and it is like a different sort of level of caring about something. And that also means though that the winds feel so much bigger, but it's it's really challenging to just not be able to kind of disconnect from something. But at the same time, you secretly love it, I'm sure. It's kind I, of a, a, you know, a love-hate relationship. I do. I mean, when it's something that you're so passionate about, and you guys right. both know this, but you just feel it so much. And I think it's like, it's it's like your kid, like you just, you want to see it grow and thrive and it can be really stressful and a lot of pressure, but you're so committed to just getting it to the next level and making it healthy and successful. Beautiful. Okay. So I know that you are in the middle of raising series A funding, which is a big deal. Some people don't even know what that means. Can you tell people what that means? Yeah. So it, Raising funding. So when you do fund a company, it can go in different stages. So there's usually seed and then series A. Now there's kind of pre-seed or friends and family and then seed and then series A. And those are basically just dependent on what stage the company's at and then the sort of terms of the investment. So typically a series A will be a priced round. Um, so you price the company and raise equity versus, you know, doing it in a note or you've already done friends and family round. Yeah. So we did it. We did a small seed round sort of friends and family Damn, I missed that about one. a year ago. <laughs> yes. I'm ready to write you a check right now, girl. <laughs> awesome. 
Okay. And, um, you know, tell me any major snags that have come up in the last, um, you know, year, anything that just was like, wow, this is really hard to get through something difficult to overcome. I mean, we have snags so regularly that I almost just gloss over them at this point, but that's kind of what you need to do. So I think that's the biggest thing as an entrepreneur. You need to be ready for constant snags and be really ready to kind of meet them and move past them. I'm trying to think of the biggest – oh, we had really early on, I had a really – interesting snag where I was launching product with Whole Foods Canada and I literally didn't have enough inventory and I was still, you know, filling jars in my apartment and wow. warehousing things in like my parents' house and like every single friend who had space. Um, and so I had this like behind the scenes, this really like wild, um, scrappy operation and I had to professionalize it really quickly or else I literally couldn't make their order. Right. You can and, lose the business. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it, it came it's an important right, client, obviously. Yes, and it came right down to sort of the last minute, uh, and I was able to find a co-packer and s- figure out warehousing and Beautiful. you know figure out shipping without totally bankrupting us. But it was it was like you know pretty scary wow, there. The learning curve is unbelievable. Just thinking about all the things that you had to come up to speed, with you know too so quickly. So tell me, where is your product distributed? How can people find it? Yeah. So we're sold. We sell on our website, beekeepersnaturals.com. We're also available on Amazon and we're in select retailers across the country. So if you're LA based, we're in Erewhon, we're in you know a bunch of different locations in New York. And over the next year, we're going to be launching, we're going to be doing a really big retail rollout. So we will be very available offline as well. Awesome. So the, the goal is to get into more um, physical locations where people can walk in and buy them over the counter. Yeah, we definitely want to be in more physical locations. Right now we're a primarily direct consumer brand, which we actually love because you know when you come to our website, it's an opportunity to educate you of about course. the cause, to really teach you about the product because you know people still don't know what propolis or royal right. jelly or I mean that must be are. that must be your hardest challenge is you have to educate. I mean when if everyone listened to this podcast, I mean how could you not buy the product? But you know, it's you don't have that luxury obviously to give people as much education as they need. How do you overcome that? Totally. That's the biggest hurdle. So it's also really hard because it's a really crowded market and there's a lot of beautifully branded products out there with, you know, famous people's endorsement that aren't necessarily there on the science side and don't necessarily deliver on results. And for us, we've we've over-invested in the research and the product quality much more so than we have with – like we have a pretty small marketing budget as a startup and that's where we've placed our funds. And so it can be kind of frustrating when you see people purchasing products that are not as well-formulated but really, really right. well-branded. Um, but – I think for us, you know, just kind of continuing to really share this with people and there is a need for it. There's a huge population looking for natural alternatives to the medicine cabinet. So the more we can get out there, the more we can kind of share our cause as well as our products and educate people about these different things and and the science behind them. I think because we come at it from a scientific angle, people tend to trust it more. And the truth is as well, once people try it, it works. And so we have really good repeat orders. And from a marketing standpoint, do you have a digital strategy of kind of how you're targeting people that are kind of searching for natural remedies? Is that we how it's working? We do. Yeah. So we we have a full digital marketing strategy and, you know, we work across Facebook, Instagram. Are you doing that in-house? Um, partly in-house. Yeah. Some of it is, some of it we're working with an agency, but we've brought a lot of it in-house recently. Beautiful. Uh, and yeah, we're just trying to get out there digitally and make it really accessible. Okay. 
Okay, Carly, we're going to do some rapid fire questions. So tell us uh, what keeps you up at night now. What keeps me up at night? Probably the welfare of my team. There's, I have some incredible people who work for me, and so I just want to make sure that it's the culture and they're, the culture is right for them and they're loving what they're doing. So now that this is your main job, what's your new side hustle? <laughs> my new side hustle, I think my new side hustle is – this sounds weird, but myself, just, you know, focusing on meditation. I just, I started with this incredible coach um, and just trying to kind of personally grow. And I've, like I said, I've like way over indexed on my career for most of my life and I have no regrets there, but trying to really just improve personally. I love that. Maybe you can combine those two at some point into the business model. Sounds like there might be some synergies in that. I've actually been sharing like what I'm doing with my coach and some different exercises with people on my team who are interested because I want to create a culture of self-care. I don't want people to have to over-index on career the way I have. I want it to be, you know, people doing what they love and also loving themselves through it. How do you define success? Success for me is kind of merged with impact. It's your ability to impact other people's lives. And that doesn't have to be at scale. You can have incredible impact on one person and change their life and change their day. Or it can be, you know, changing, helping other people to feel differently about themselves in a really broad way. If you were going to encourage people to try one product just to be introduced to your brand, what, which one would you choose? I mean, propolis. If you have a sore throat, if you are struggling with allergies, propolis is just such a good ingredient for inflammation. For so is that the throat spray? The throat spray, yeah. I use it every day just to boost my immune system. But then if you're sick, you can also just kind of double dose it and really zap that sore throat. So can you just keep using it? You don't have to stop? It. Oh, yeah. There... I literally use it every day. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Do you have any advice for people who want to start their own company? Yeah, it starts with you. So adopt that growth mindset. Get really clear on what you want and what you're passionate about. Don't start a company for the sake of starting a company. Find the thing that you love and the thing that you are losing sleep over and solve for that. But really start with yourself. Start with your, you know, growing your confidence and get really ready to cultivate that that resilience and that ability to come back from the challenge. I completely agree. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, I think we have done it. Um, first of all, I want to thank both of you. You're both such an inspiration. And, you know, Carly, I have like learned so much today and your passion and your, your authenticity about, you know, what you're doing is really shines through. And I'm super excited for everyone to kind of learn more about what you're doing. And I wish you both so much success in, you know, your entrepreneurial endeavors. Super, super exciting. So thank you both for being here. Thank you so much thank for having you. us. Thank you. Thanks for having awesome. us. Awesome.